Hello and welcome to Healing from Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, author of The Living Spirit, a story of spiritual awakening, communication, healing energies, miracles, and ways to know and utilize intuition for health, for prosperity, and a less fearful life experience. Today I welcome once again Dr. John J. Miller to discuss what has become a threatening experience in our modern day lives, the rising levels of diseases we had thought to be eradicated or at least under control. Hello, Dr. Miller, and thank you for participating in a discussion that is very timely and necessary Hi, Cheryl. Thanks for having me back on your show again. I appreciate it. John, you know, as listeners of Healing from Within are well aware, my guests and I share intimate stories and insights into the human condition and ways to use our spiritual and intellectual knowledge to provide ways to live a healthier, more positive life experience. We share our understanding of our dual nature as both energetic, spiritual, and physical energies who may use this awareness of higher consciousness to simply improve our daily lives. In today's episode of Healing from Within, we will learn about the measles epidemic happening in the United States and other places in order to hopefully protect our children and ourselves with a greater awareness of the symptoms and ways the disease is being contracted and spread, as well as what to do if, if you should develop symptoms. U.S. measles cases in 2019 have climbed to their highest level in 25 years in a resurgence largely attributed to misinformation that is turning many parents against vaccines. And New York City health officials recently reported 61 new cases, pushing this year's nationwide tally past the 667 cases reported for all of 2014. That's going to make 2019 the worst year. And what's causing the outbreak? How dangerous is this disease? And what do parents and others need to know? With us today to discuss this is author and pediatrician Dr. John J. Miller. John, you know, on the last show I asked you, and maybe today you'll have something else to share with us. I love to ask my guests to think back to earlier life and remember a person, place, or event that may have directed them to the work and the lifestyle and interests that they are so passionate about now in their adult lives. So think back for a minute. Two things in my life that, that directed me in my life was when I was five years old, I had a large cancer on my left flank, a neuroblastoma. I was in the hospital for a month, and at that time we were in the hospital with no TVs, no iPads, no games, nothing. We had to make up our own things to entertain ourselves. So I would watch out a window. There was a brick chimney outside the hospital window, and it had white smoke coming out of the top. And I would just formulate for hours on end different symbols of what that white smoke was forming, nights on horseback, lances, Indians, cowboys at that time. It was 1951 with Hopalong Cassidy. Oh, yeah. And then, I remember. Oh, yeah. You remember Hopalong Cassidy? <laughs> yes, I do. So, and then when I was 10, one of my friends, I was talking to him uh, years ago. <clears throat> we grew up together. And I told him 
from the time I was 10, I wanted to be a pediatrician. I never wanted to be a doctor. I always wanted to be a pediatrician. Mm. I was always the oldest in the neighborhood. I always looked after the younger ones. I was the oldest of four boys, and I would always look after and protect my younger brothers. So those two things really played a large influence in my life. You know, John, while I was listening to you, I, I am reminded of how many times I tell my clients, you know, I'm an intuitive energy healer and medium, and how many times I tell them nothing is random. We were born with a wisdom in our soul and heart uh, that guides us. It's like a navigational system to find our destiny, remember who we are and what we came into this physical life to learn and to do. And it's there. And, and it's there in childhood. Many of us start to have inklings of how we want to share uh, our thoughts and lives and love. And you already knew, as did I. I always knew I wanted to help people. It took many different forms but but right. it, it was it was always there and nothing is random what's happened no. your being ill as as at 5 years old was not random it was part of your plan for you to discover this big imagination and for you to 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 realize the possibilities to create whatever you needed in your own life so you could help others do the same thing and, and yeah, it opened it opened Pandora's box for me. So right, I contributed to that. Yes, absolutely. So good can always come out of something that is challenging, if if we allow it, and if it's in our plan. Everything is part of the plan, for us collectively, for for us individually and collectively. So let's go on to what do you think is the primary cause of this recent measles outbreak? Well, there seems. There seems to be two major contributing factors. The first one is pretty obvious. We have international travelers in this day and age. Yeah. But the problem is they're traveling to countries where there are huge outbreaks of measles. Countries, Asia, Africa, the Ukraine, the Philippines, Italy, France, Israel especially, Pakistan, India, mm. Thailand. Uh, there's a lot of unvaccinated people who are in Israel. And initially this started because we had some travelers from New York going to Israel, exposed to measles, coming back, they were unaware that they had it, and then they uh, infected a lot of the non-immunized people in their communities. Um, in the past few months, there's been documented 4,000 measles cases in Israel with two deaths. The largest outbreak anywhere in the world is in Madagascar. Right now we have 46,000 cases reported in Madagascar with 800 have died. Globally, there's 112,000 cases. The problem with reporting globally by the World Health Organization is they tell you that only one in 10 cases are reported in these underdeveloped countries. So that's the first cause, international travel with people. The second one is what we call loss of herd immunity. Herd immunity basically means that we have 95 to 97% coverage with vaccinations of people in a certain group. If you have 1,000 people, you have 95 to 97% vaccinated. They will cover, by herd immunity, the other 3% that have elected not to get vaccinated. Yes. The problem is that for whatever reasons nowadays, philosophical or personal or religious beliefs, people are not vaccinating their children. So now the herd immunity has dropped to 70%. And when people come in that are 
contagious, that extra 30% is going to get measles. That's the problem. That's the biggest problem, those two, two issues right there. All right. Well, my next question was, uh, and you just started to answer it, what are some arguments used by people who don't believe in vaccinations, and how would you debunk them? You started to say, you know, it could be personal beliefs or philosophical safety concerns, and, and simply right. they need more information from health. They're afraid. could be religious they, reasons. They are. they are because of certain things that have come out over the past several years. Uh, the first argument uh, for people who do not believe in immunization is they, they believe that measles is a harmless childhood disease process, and it's not. Nothing could be farther from the truth. These people have never seen a full-blown case of measles in their four-year-old in the hospital, and I have. It's mm. a bad disease. One out of every four kids under the age of five who gets measles is going to be hospitalized. One in 20 of them are going to get measles pneumonia. One in a 1,000 of those kids are going to develop encephalitis, and one to two per thousand are going to pass away under the age of five. It's a deadly, deadly disease. Mm. And then the second... The second myth is surfaced in about 1998 in England when that uh, scientist, I think his last name was Wakefield, came out with a paper debunking the measles, the MMR, because he felt it was associated with autism. He had a paper yes. come out and said that's the biggest fear autism. right now. Yeah. Right. And then they sued him and took it to court, and in 2004, they proved that he was in league with the attorney who was suing the company distributing the MMR throughout the United Kingdom. Problem is that because of the 98 paper he released, a lot of the people in the UK didn't give their kids the measles vaccine for six years, and a lot of them had a measles outbreak. Several studies have been done since that time, all of them debunking that myth. Measles, MMR is not associated with autism, period. Good. Okay. That is what has to be known. People get an idea in their head, and even when it's incorrect, they, they won't let it go. And, and that's part of the problem here. Now, let me ask something. When did we get this measles vaccine, approximately? Because I remember my children, my daughter, actually, she went for a part in a movie. And there was another uh -huh. boy that we, a lead part... <laughs> And there was another boy who who got sick, and I, I got a phone call from the mother uh, that he had, I, I don't know if it was measles or chicken pox, and, mm -hmm. and sure enough, a couple of days, whatever, later, she came down with it. And she got the part, <laughs> but they were filming right away, and and she couldn't do it. I remember we we must no. we must have gone on four auditions for that back and forth to the city, uh, and it was what, meant to be. But then my son. What year was that? This was. What year was that? Uh, well, mm, let me see. Um, she had to be ten, so she's forty-seven now. So that had to be thirty-seven years ago. So I'm not mm -hmm. sure if it was chicken pox or measles because they had marks all over their body, red sores. Yeah, they look, they, they were look, very they look sick. totally different. Yeah, they look totally different, measles versus chicken pox. Well, I'm if not... you've seen both side by side, you know that you would know the difference. Well, anyhow, the point I'm trying to make here is my son, who was five years younger, so he was five at the time, came down with mm -hmm. it. And, and, mm -hmm. and I remember him crying and saying, 
how sick he felt, saying to me, Mommy, why did I get this? And mm, it was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, you asked him about when it was released. In 1963, the measles vaccine was released. They, I think they released two different types. Uh, the problem was that one of the types was a killed measles uh, virus vaccine, which has been proven to be ineffective. So people who got their uh, measles vaccine between 63 and 67 need to check their records to see if they had the one that had what we call the attenuated virus, which is a weakened measles virus. That's the one that's effective. The one that's ineffective is the one that had the killed measles vaccine. So they need to check that. If they have any questions, they can go to their doctor and get a quick blood test done. It takes one to two days to get the results back. That's not an issue. Well, my kids then, had it after that. So if there okay. was a vaccine, they they had it after that. Yeah, in 71, the MMR was introduced. So they probably had the MMR. That was in 1971. That, and that's been very Very effective? Very effective. One dose of MMR gives you 90 93% effectiveness, two doses, and which is why we give it now at 12 months and between four and six years, two doses is 97% effective against measles. Well, what we have to be concerned about also is that uh, the world has to be vaccinated because, yes, there's uh, immigration, migration, and there's so much traveling going on uh, that if it's in other countries, so many other countries, <laughs> that it can still come into this country. And uh, exactly. I, think, I think our medical communities and world health facilities have got to start thinking in terms of worldwide immunization. And that would right. be a wonderful way to go. Now, let's go on to people won't know this. How are measles spread? Well, measles are spread primarily by a person who is contagious, and they will get contagious if they're not immunized. They'll get contagious about 10 to 12 days after their exposure to someone who has measles, okay? Mm. You get it because the person has coughing or sneezing initially, as well as a fever. And the problem is that when they are in a closed environment, such as a bus in New York City or a metro car in New York City or a restaurant in New York City, or something like that, and they are developing measles. They don't have the rash yet, but they're contagious four days before the rash breaks out. That virus stays in the air for two hours after that person has left. Mm. So anybody in, in that vicinity, a mother taking her child to the market to get something who's under 12 months of age who hasn't been immunized yet, or somebody on the bus that's never been immunized, that virus stays in the air in that vicinity for two hours after they leave. So and also you write, you write that it can live on surfaces. So if you touch things, you know, can also exactly. pick it up that way. Yeah. So exactly. what, what signs should parents be looking for? Well, first signs, measles will usually start with a fever. And the fever starts about four, to, four days or so before the rash starts. The fever starts, cough and sneezing, red eyes. Um, and then you can look inside the child's mouth, too, because inside what we call the buccal mucosa on the inside of the cheek, mm -hmm. they'll have these little white, white spots, and they're called coplic spots. Mostly the doctors will pick up on that. But they start with the fever, the coughing, the sneezing, the red eyes, sore throat, the coplic spots, 
And then the rash will start about four days after they're exposed. And the rash starts primarily on the face along the hairline. And I tell people it's like taking a little paintbrush and dipping it in red paint, and you mm -hmm. start just painting, and you paint down over the body. starts from the head, works its way down over the, uh, the body area. And the rash will last for about a week, seven days for the rash. Yeah. And you need to keep the kids home. You know, nowadays... Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I Absolutely. know. I want to make this very clear because uh, I watch now and I see a lot of parents and adults for themselves also. They think they take an antibiotic. They take one pill. They're okay. They're good to go. The next day they're back to work. They're still not allowing the body to have downtime to recover. And you must rest for the immune Absolutely. system to build up and to conquer the symptoms. And I see this all too well. They send the kids back to school the next day. Next day. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, need, they need rest. They need fluids to stay hydrated. Right. And the only thing you can treat with measles when you're at home is the fever. That's it. Antibiotics don't work against it. It's a virus, not a right. bacterial infection. I so, know. I remember the ch my children were home for a, a long period of time. The rash took weeks to go really, oh, really completely go away yeah mm -hmm. and um of course i took them to the doctor probably even before the rash broke out because they had a high fever right so right so and that that's what most people will take their children in and that's what i said usually a doctor will what i do is look inside the mouth too knowing that measles is out there if the kid comes in with a cough sneezing fever red eyes I'll look right inside the mouth on the inside sheets, and you can see the complex spots. And then you just tell the parent, you got to keep him at home. He's, get, he's getting measles, and he's going to have the rash in a day or two. All right. So uh, what do you suggest for the parents out there once they see their children with a high fever? Well, once they see their children with a high fever, if they're suspecting measles, okay, they can, mm -hmm. and their child has not been vaccinated, they can get an MMR up to three days after exposure, but not once the fever starts, because that starts later in the process. So about the only thing they can do is keep the child at home, keep the child hydrated, and also uh, give them treatment for the fever. Now, if it's early on and they're worried about whether or not it is measles, I would recommend they call their pediatrician's office, tell them what they're thinking the child may have or may have been exposed mm -hmm. to, because then the pediatrician will make arrangements to have that child seen in his office, but in, in an area that's away from everybody else that's out in the waiting room. Oh, that's that's, that's very important to, to tell people, that they should protect the other children and adults in the office. And if you think it's a contagious disease, you should say so to your doctor or, or the uh, receptionist so that they can provide that kind of um, control, you know. That's exactly. Very, very. Exactly. Uh, most people don't know that, so that's a very important point you just made there. So, what can we do to protect our children from measles and perhaps other communicable diseases? Well, the most important thing is vaccinate them. That is the most drop dead important thing to do. Is get your child immunized. There's absolutely no reason not to have your kids immunized. If your child could have been immunized and it comes down with measles, and then, the, like I said, the statistics are there for 1 in 20 will develop pneumonia, 1 in 1,000 will get encephalitis, 1 to 2 per 1,000 will die, you, would, you wouldn't forgive yourself. 
you would not forgive yourself for being able to go down the street, get a measles vaccine from your pediatrician, and rest comfortably that your child is not going to get measles. Yeah, I That's think I think you wrote here, CDC recommends vaccinations before the age of two years to protect children against 14 infectious disease, diseases, measles, mom's rubella, which is German measles. I remember taking mm-hmm. that shot when I was a young teacher because I wanted to get... <laughs> I wanted to get pregnant, and I took that shot uh, before because I was going to be working with children. Um, and then there's chickenpox, hepatitis A, hepatitis B, diphtheria, tetanus, uh, pertosis, which is whooping cough. Whooping, whooping, whooping cough, right. <laughs> do, we have, cough. do we have that anymore? <laughs> whooping cough. Um, and oh, yeah. We've had a few cases. Yes. We've had a few cases of pertussis in the past year out here in California at our clinic, yeah. Okay, yeah, and influenza type B, polio, influenza, and... Uh, pneumococcal, pneumococcal, yeah. Pneumococcal, yeah. Now, do, do the children get 14 different shots for all these different things? Not necessarily, no, not necessarily. I think the most shots that a child will get is if they come in at age 12 months. But I think they're due for like six vaccines, but... I tell the parents all the time, you can split that up. You know, just as long as you come in at an appropriate time frame, we can split those up for you. I'm not going to stand there and give a little munchkin six vaccines and and scream at his rest of the day. Yeah, I know. I'm glad you said that because I remember when um, my daughter was having the children uh, have their shots, and I said, uh, no, don't let your doctor give two or three. Split it up. Too much for the body mm-hmm. to take on, and she, and she did. And she herself went for some dental work, um, molars, you know, on mm-hmm. both sides, mm-hmm. and they wanted to do both sides in one day. I said, absolutely not. You do one side, you'll go back another day. It is too much stress on the body, and it's not right. necessary. It's just not necessary. Right. She, she did listen to me. <laughs> you know, children don't. She, she's a grown-up, but, <laughs> you, you know, children don't always yeah. listen, and grown-up children don't always listen either. But she did that time, and I mother Mother always knows best. <laughs> yes, it is true. And as an intuitive, I have a little edge there. <laughs> And, I, and I'm very go. and I'm very outspoken. It just comes over me, and I just say it. And I'm I'm usually most of the time right. So we're going to want to follow some of this. Um, so now some municipalities have made it illegal to go to public places if you have not been vaccinated. What do you think of this? I think they have to do something. I mean, um, I agree. I yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. In New York City, uh, I know he's passed the law now that in the uh, Hasidic communities they have to get vaccinated. I think eventually that's going to spread to other communities in New York City, too, because it's not just the Jewish Hasidic communities that have the outbreak. It's also shown that uh, the vaccine rate, we talked about the herd immunity, the vaccine rate in Muslim communities and Christian communities in New York City is also low. It's below 90%. So once it starts breaking out there, you know, you have to do something. You cannot just let the kids not be vaccinated, be exposed to this stuff, and then show up at school. And then, like I said, 10 to 12 days after exposure to someone who is contagious, that's when you'll start developing. So for those first 10 to 12 days, they're basically contagious. And then they get the fever, and then they get the rash. So how many people have they exposed before that time? You have to vaccinate your children. In all, in all good consciousness, you have to do that. 
So uh, let's go on to, as a pediatrician for more than four decades, what have you learned in general about helping parents uh, to provide the best care for their children? Let's, let's answer the most, that. Yeah. The, most, the most important thing as a pediatrician, when a parent comes in and they have questions, and a lot of them obviously are younger parents, okay? Yes. So the most important thing is to sit and listen to what their concerns are. Just sit there, talk to them, don't be rushed, listen to what they have to say, and then put your input towards what their questions are and what, how you would guide them through and get them to the end point. I used to tell parents, I've been doing this for four and a half decades, and I used to tell parents, okay, this is what I do for my own kids. And now I tell the parents, this is what I do for my own grandkids. <laughs> yeah. So times have changed it. But if you just listen and you talk, and you can always come up with a solution for them. They want to hear what your viewpoint is as both a pediatrician as well as a parent and a grandparent. Absolutely. You, you have life experience aside from exactly. you, you're, you're exactly. attending to the child and the family and the parents and all their needs emotionally, physically and spiritually. And, and that's the whole package for self-healing to take effect. We're not just dealing with the symptoms, ugly as they are and distressing as they are. We're dealing with the whole human and energetic package and you have the experience and they want that these young parents you're right they they have very little training they should be giving more training in schools in high school and in college and in graduate schools uh, for basic everyday living you know you can come out with a degree in psychology but or, or philosophy or art and not have very good basic living skills so I think a lot of this should be taught actually actually. So I, want I agree. To, okay. I want to thank you, Dr. John J. Miller, for participating in a most important discussion to help parents and the public in general be aware of the increasing problem of the measles outbreak that puts so many people at risk. The last show Dr. Miller recorded me, with me on his book, The Book of Spells, which piques the imagination when read by medically affected children, perhaps in hospitals or home, and helps them to feel powerful in the conquering of their illnesses. And to listen to this show, it's going to be on April 2020 as a, a special edition. You will find out about imagination and self-healing through the power of our thoughts. In summarizing today's episode of Healing from Within, we have shared a great deal of helpful facts about the measles epidemic and indeed an understanding of why some parents are confused or afraid of vaccinating their children, often because they just don't have the facts. And indeed, preventing contagious disease is a very necessary part of living in populated areas of society, such as cities where you go to schools, public utilities, where people work side by side so closely. You need the knowledge. You need to understand the reasons for the spread of disease. And we need to improve preventative medical techniques Certainly vaccinating our children in this day and age and the entire population is one of these techniques. True healing, as we've discussed today, is really using our mind, body, and spirit to think in terms of creating the best environment for well-being, health, and happiness. 
Dr. Miller and I would hope you discuss with your doctors all options for preventing and protecting your immune system and also create conditions in your home and workplace that limit contracting measles or any other infectious disease. I am Cheryl Glick, host of Healing from Within and author of The Living Spirit, Answers for Healing and Infinite Love. And I invite you to my website, CherylGlick.com, to hear about and read about leaders in the fields of science, medicine, psychology, spirituality, education, and the arts and music as we explore the human condition and ways to live confidently with a healthy attitude and ways to create our best environment. Shows may also be heard on webtalkradio.net and dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you.